Thank you for downloading and listening to the 4 Million Years Later podcast, the show where a couple of friends get together, watch an episode of the Generation 1 Transformer series in order, and then get together and talk about what they saw. My name is Jersey Drozd. I am a cartoonist and teaching artist, and the other host is named... I am a plague of Hoover. <laughs> is that what you're going to be doing from now on? <laughs> maybe. Maybe not. Hoove Goes Hollywood, season two. <laughs> Oh, good to talk to you again, Hoover, and uh, good to be back talking about Transformers once again, and we're talking this week about episode 15, A Plague of Insecticons, in case you didn't know that from Hoover's new title this week. (laughs) Here comes the log line, then we'll do some 10,000 feet up overview before we dive in. The Autobots and Decepticons investigate reports of a new group of giant robots in the form of insects. Oh my gosh, the Z-Bots are here. <laughs> it's not the converters. <laughs> That's a tempting rat hole to go down. It's like to actually talk about all of the sort of knockoff Transformers that came out at this time. And they were invariably insects, weren't they? Yeah, a lot of them were. And I had one of them. <laughs> I did too. In fact, let's put a pin in that and we'll talk about that on our season wrap up. Oh, there we go. Yeah. Uh, that was my well-meaning grandmother saying, I got you some of those vehicles that turn into men. <laughs> I know you like them. So this is another one where a lot of stuff is packed into this episode. We meet three new characters, right? Yep. I'm going to front load this and we're going to unpack it as we go through the episode. Three incredibly versatile new characters. Yeah. <laughs> These are not one note people. These guys no. can do a lot of stuff. Possibly too much stuff. (laughs) It's worth digging into this stuff when we're analyzing the different approaches that these Sunbow writers use to introducing all these exciting new action figures, vehicles, and playsets that we got to tell our parents to get us for Christmas and for our birthdays, right? With Fire in the Sky, we introduced like this really interesting character arc to make us like really care about the the growth and change this character has to undergo, or is it growth and change? Is it him just sticking to his principles, right? With SOS Dinobots, it was just like, look at how tough they are. They could grab jets out of the air <laughs> with their mouths. <laughs> And this one, they do a little bit of, a little bit of uh, from column A and column B in this one. Yeah, and they also do. Look how tough they are! They can grab jets out of the air with their mouths. <laughs> That's true. They do do that. <laughs> But they also do like a, a little bit of like introducing the thing that's exciting about this one for me is they introduce a whole new sort of um, status quo in the series. Mm-hmm. Up to this point, we've had Autobots versus Decepticons, and for all we know, that's how all of Cybertron is sorted right down the middle. You're on you the column A or column B, but this one we get a essentially a third faction, which is yeah. kind of exciting. And I've always liked instances of that whenever there's this sort of third faction that pops up that's kind of aligned with another faction but not really Mm -hmm. of course we've seen that in gi joe with the dreadnoughts and this is sort of transformers version of the dreadnoughts kind of yeah yeah good observation they really are because they're also super weird (laughs) (laughs) yes there's so much weird stuff about the insecticons that I, I did a microcast uh, before the launch of the show, like sort of like hashing out what I think about the Insecticons. And I, I, it wasn't something where I really thought that much about them before. 
I mean, I obviously we've thought about them a lot over the last 25 years, but not in this kind of very focused, purpose-driven way. And now that I've sat down, I really looked at them and, you know, sorted out, how do I feel about this episode? It's like, man, they are a creepy, weird new addition to the to the whole premise of the show. So mm-hmm. I have yeah. a deeper appreciation of them now. Yeah, definitely not like here's three more generic Decepticons. They definitely have a flavor all of their own. Mm-hmm. Yeah, they really do. So who wrote this episode? Doug Booth wrote this episode. And thank you for always keeping track of who the writers are. Because but what other episodes did he write? He wrote Roll For It. Roll For It, of course, the introduction of Tip Chase. Ah, thank you, Doug Booth. <laughs> he uh, co-wrote Roll For It, co-wrote The Ultimate Doom, and he wrote Fire on the Mountain. So he's becoming quite the little Transformers scribe here. And those are all great episodes. They're all episodes where we have a lot of stuff packed into the episode. There's a lot of spotlighting of specific characters' abilities in all of these episodes that you mentioned. Mm -hmm. So I just wonder if we can coin it right here now. I don't know if anybody else has done this before, but can we call these the Boothian episodes? (laughs) He is a very Boothian storyteller. (laughs) Uh, these are these are, these are all standouts of season one, and he had a hand in it. So it's like now I kind of want to meet Doug Booth, and I want to talk with him about that because yep. just so much stuff happens in this episode. I'm anticipating. I mean, everybody's listening now knows how long the episode is, but at the time of this recording, I'm anticipating a long one. We'll see what happens. But <laughs> so, do you want to kick us off? What happens after the exciting opening music? Well, we open on a very unfamiliar location visually. It's not the usual desert that we see. It's instead a tree-covered swampy place, mm-hmm. which narrator Victor Caroli informs us is the island of Bali. The island of Bali just north of Australia. More specifically, Demon Swamp, which mm. sounds like a lovely place to visit. We see what I would call <laughs> typical 1980s cartoon foreigners, three of which are paddling along in a small kayak type of boat. And one of them looks very nervous as he looks all around him. Well, Victor Caroli, I don't know if the, the guys in the boat heard him, but he's like, you know. He's <laughs> That's like, why they're he's... nervous. They're like, where's that voice coming from? <laughs> it doesn't sound like it's anything good because he's like, demon swamp. And he talks about it like a sinister new form of life approaches, you know. So... <laughs> Another episode where it's teed up by the narration to be like, this isn't going to be fun. This is going to be really serious <laughs> and intense. Uh, can we take a moment to talk about Demon Swamp and like the names that Sunbow uses? <laughs> like all of these pulpy location names. I love them with all my heart. As somebody who makes comics for kids, like I'm really just itching to to like come up with names like that for locations in the stories that I write. I don't know if that would travel well in 2019. I feel like maybe this would be too campy or too corny for today's <laughs> palette. But but like you think about like G.I. Joe, the roof of the world, right? Mm. <laughs> the island of no return, the pit of chaos. <laughs> it's not enough just to be like, oh yeah, this swamp is called like, I don't know, uh, the Mississippi River or... Uh, it's never Col- like Sunnybrook Farm. Coldwater Lake, you know? <laughs> But it has to be Demon Swamp. I never in my life went to a place that was called, well, <laughs> I actually, I take it back. In 2016 or 2017, my wife and I actually, uh, for our- Vacationed in Demon Swamp, I hear. We, va- we, we vacationed in Death Valley, which is, 
<laughs> which is actually okay and that was that was part of the mystique for me is like oh i'm like at a sunbow show it's called death valley <laughs> i might run into destro here <laughs> <laughs> do you hear that <laughs> anyway i i just i just wanted to pause for a moment and just say like this is something that i think we both really enjoy about the sunbow series is that they come up with these imaginative and silly and over the top names like mm-hmm. names that could also be like metal bands <laughs> have you heard the new demon swamp it's tremendous <laughs> have you heard the pit of chaos they're so intense <laughs> <laughs> so as as they're paddling along we see something in the water rising up from the swampy waters we see a black and purple metallic creature a distinct voice comes out of the creature Food approaches. Okay, can we talk about, like, continuing on with the creepiness? We don't know what he's referring to yet. <laughs> is he talking about the boat? Is he talking about the people? You know, what's he talking about there? Who is he going to eat? At this point in my life, I'm at least passingly familiar with, like, the Friday the 13th series and the people in the woods being hunted by a thing. So this is pretty intense. And he sounds weird. He does sound weird. <sighs> Like, why does he repeat his last word? <laughs> well, we'll touch on that when he talks a little bit more. But a second similar creature emerges from a sort of hut behind the first, and it dives into the water. And the worried boater senses that something is in the water below him and pokes at it with his paddle. And then the creature below overturns his boat, throwing the occupant onto the nearby land. And mm-hmm. the other two boatsmen are confused by this, but suddenly they are attacked by the first creature who fires lasers at one of the boats. And the third boatsman rescues the second and beats a hasty retreat as the first boatsman catches up with the pair who all flee as fast as they can. Yeah, and they don't seem as interested in the people. They're interested in what's in the boats. (laughs) Two of the creatures start chowing down on the bags from the overturned boat, and we can't really tell what it is. It looks like it might be wheat or rice or something. Yeah. And as one of the giant creatures tells a third grasshopper shaped one that he calls kickback that his food is getting away so this creature hops onto the escaping boat literally like smashing it as he lands on it and snatches more bags of what seem to be the grain as the boaters narrowly escape saying they must radio for help and they mustn't let these monsters get to the farm so let's also take a note the very first thing that this character kickback says is, I, in that case, I'd better hop to it. Yeah. This robot loves his puns, and he uses a lot of them, a lot of foot-related puns in this, <laughs> throughout this episode. So Doug Booth is like, okay, what's kickback's deal? Well, he kicks things. Okay, everything he thinks about has to do with feet and kicking things and jumping. <laughs> That's all he's going to talk about. And this is probably... I don't remember every episode by heart, but this one feels like, okay, we get a lot of kickback in this one. And when he shows up mm-hmm. later in future episodes, I don't feel like we get a lot of personality out of kickback, but we'll, we'll cross that bridge when we get to it. But, mm-hmm. but anyway, yeah, they're like, oh, we can't let those monsters. We, it's like, as if they're shouting over their shoulders, we can't let those monsters get to the farm. <laughs> <laughs> Here's what his kickback do. <laughs> so this guy hears the word farm. And he knows that farms have food. Mm-hmm. So suddenly the first creature rises up and transforms into a robot, roughly eight to ten foot tall. He is joined by the other two who follow suit. So we see that these three creatures are actually Decepticons. 
and their leader is named Shrapnel, and the others are Bombshell and Kickback. Mm-hmm. And knowing that the farm has food, they take off out of the swamp in search of a meal. So these are the Insecticons, part of the 1985 toy lineup. Three more new characters, and for those keeping score, this cartoon has 38 characters now. Not counting Partly, Cloudy, or any other unnamed Decepticons. 38 characters in 15 episodes. This has to be some kind of record. Probably only outdone by G.I. Joe, if anyone. But these toys were all more expensive than a G.I. Joe figure. So, what a prospect for kids to have to attempt to collect <laughs> them all. Yeah, this does like point to, I wouldn't call it gluttony, but... It, it's like this particular period of time is famous for like the rampant out of control consumerism that was going on. Mm-hmm. Right. And like, if you doubt it, it's like, look at this toy line that has a cartoon that is only 15 episodes old. Yeah. <laughs> and there's 38 toys. Average price point, probably I would say like 12 to $15 on an average. Right. Maybe 12. Let's err on the side of lower, like 10 to 12. Yeah. I would but, say 10 would be about the average. It, but ten dollars in nineteen eighty five money, which not to get right. too much into the weeds on that, but like you know, a comic book was like seventy five cents to a dollar at that point. Mm-hmm. <laughs> so, so like ten bucks was a lot of money. I remember finding ten dollars on the ground once when I was in fifth grade, <laughs> and it you might you were have, set for life. It was like Brewster's Millions. I was running around like Richard Pryor, just screaming. You know, I was like, I could do anything. <laughs> <laughs> so like now you have thirty eight. It's like 380 bucks if you want to get everything in this line, you know. I don't know what the final tally would be. Somebody else has those numbers, but but and you um, had 27 siblings on top of that, so there true. was no way you were going to get them all. No. But I I even an only child of a dad who was in the oil business during the 80s oil boom, not even I had anywhere near all of the first wave. So at this point in the series, I might have had half of the 84 lineup at best. Maybe mm-hmm. not even that. And there would be many, many of the first wave Autobot cars I would never, and still to this day, have never owned. <laughs> so we'll put a pin in this yeah. and revisit this a little bit later on. Yeah, when we get to season two and we get to the the commercial that introduced the whole new line of Autobot cars, where they're just mm. like, they're just naming like nine guys in a row. Yeah. <laughs> Smoke like, screen, oh. tracks, hoist, inferno, red alert, and grapple. You know, it's like, still God not going to get any breaks here, am I? Nope. <laughs> Boy, this this show is really defying you. Even if the second wave of toys in 85 only had the rest of the characters who hadn't had toys yet, that would mm-hmm. be five Dinobots, three Insecticons, <laughs> Shockwave, and Skyfire, a.k.a. Jetfire. So yeah. that would be ten toys, which <laughs> isn't bad for a second wave. But no, they had to go above and beyond there. Yeah. Got it. You know, maybe some of those parent groups had had a point. I'm not, saying, <laughs> I'm not saying I agree with them 100% because it's like, yeah, I know it's a commercial, but my parents didn't buy me all the toys, so what's it to you? But yeah. boy, oh boy, like to like have it be like that intense of a collecting experience. Anyway, so we have these Insecticons. Describe them. What do they look like? Well, they all have a unified black and purple color scheme, which is interesting because previously we've seen the Dinobots all have a unified color scheme as well. So mm-hmm. it seems like if they're introducing a sort of new sub-team, they're all going to match. So that's mm-hmm. kind of visually interesting because yeah. certainly none of the Autobots or Decepticons really match at all. Right. 
So these are a little sub teams. So they're all black, purple, with some yellow and chrome highlights. And Shrapnel was the bossy one. <laughs> and he has a very strange way of speaking where he repeats the last word or sometimes the last syllable of his sentence. And he is voiced by Hal Rail, who also does the Dinobot Snarl. Bombshell is voiced by Michael Bell, who we know as Sideswipe and Prowl. And Kickback is a Transformers newcomer, Clive Revel, who, interestingly, was the voice of the Emperor in the original Empire Strikes Back during his little Skype call cameo to Vader. Oh, non-canonical. Non-canonical. <laughs> uh, I didn't know that. And the special editions from 1997 that got completely reshot and respoken but yeah. in the original version where the emperor looks weird yeah that's clive revel doing the voice we have a new enemy luke skywalker interesting can we talk a little bit about the voices and in particular shrapnel so like as i was re-watching this one carefully I was remembering that Shrapnel in particular, like, I don't think I would have said it in these words when I was a kid, but I remember being a little confused as to, like, is, is Shrapnel a guy or a gal? Like, what's Shrapnel's mm. gender? Now, I know, like, this whole idea of, like, gender in outer space robots is weird anyway, and, like, I think, it, like, some of the stuff they've been doing with the comics recently where it's like, hey, maybe it could be more of a fluid thing. I'm like, actually, that kind of makes a lot of sense. They're Transformers. <laughs> they yeah, change. at this point in the cartoon, we have not seen any overtly female... That's right. Yet. That's right. So it, so when Shrapnel, because Shrapnel's voice is like so high and like there's something about the performance that Hal Rail does that I remember as a kid being a little confused and like mm -hmm. and like I, I argued with my my little brother like like I I don't know what do you think is it is it a gal or a guy I kind of like that about Shrapnel now mm -hmm. I kind of like because I think they do use a male pronoun for him later on in if not in this episode in a future episode because there's like a very Shrapnel centric episode coming up later on. But I don't know that specific aspect of the performance. I actually really enjoy a lot more now as a, mm -hmm. you know, in, in 2020, but yeah, I mean, it's just more diversity. I mean, not everyone should be like either a young punk, like Skywarper rumble or old guy, mm -hmm. like thundercracker. I mean, let's get some, throw some curveballs in there, have this really weird person. And maybe they're not even a guy who knows. I like the ambiguity of the performance is what I was mm -hmm. getting at. And yeah. also I, another thing that we'll look at it throughout the episode, like you called shrapnel, like a bossy character. And yeah, in this first scene, shrapnel's issuing a lot of orders like, Hey guys, transform turn your food mm -hmm. and energy and let's go to do this stuff throughout the series it feels like there isn't a real hierarchy of chain of command in the insecticons they feel more like a gang where they're mm -hmm. nobody's really in charge yeah that too is a neat aspect of these characters and like it's like with the dreadnoughts it's like zartan is clearly in charge right? right but here it's like it's like this weird little group of buddies <laughs> yeah <laughs> and i think a large part of that is my impulse is to say how they were raised, but that's not what I mean exactly. But I mean like how they've been hanging out on earth, but we'll get to that in a little yeah. bit. Yeah, we will. So, okay. So they, they say like, Hey, let's transform. Let's, let's turn this, whatever food we just ate into energy and we'll go to the farm and we'll get even more food and they fly away. And so we go back to Autobot base, it, which by the way, I don't know if, if anybody's keeping track at this point, the outside of the base still has trees. Like there's like it's like green and wooded at the base of the mountain in which the mm. arc is crashed. Later on, we're gonna see fewer and fewer trees, and like 
not a few episodes ago, it was like, oh, they're in the desert. There's like, there's saguaro cacti. Well, now there's evergreens. <laughs> well, you think that could maybe be due to all the climate changes in uh, the ultimate doom, perhaps? Or is that just oh, Oh, well, that was, that was like the, you, everybody listening, you just watched the germination of a hoove theory. <laughs> <laughs> There's clearly an explanation for this in the ultimate doom, and that's that's perfectly plausible. You're right. You're right. It well, see, I was raised on Marvel Comics, and <laughs> Marvel Comics in the letters pages, they were always like, well, if you think you found an error, write in and explain to us why it wasn't an error. And so... You get a no prize. I was like programmed to view yeah. that sort of thing. See, and I was raised on pre-crisis DC, where right. it's like, there's a million universes. It could be anything. <laughs> <laughs> Very polar opposites there. <laughs> Where Kathy adores a minuet. The ballet ruse and crepe Suzette. Our patty dogs are rock and roll. A hot dog makes her lose control. And what a wild duet. <laughs> so uh, back at the Autobot base, Spike is listening to a headset on Teletran 1. Yeah, he's listening to the new Duran Duran album. <laughs> he's like, oh, this is fresh. No, yeah. he's listening to some sort of SOS from Bali, which reports of giant robot insects. And we see a group of Autobots present, and they're ready to investigate. And he's there with his dad as well. There's yeah. Braun, there's Windcharger, and Bumblebee. And so once they get the word on these giant robot insects, Skyfire is instantly ready to get going. Yep. So they all jump into Skyfire, who transforms inside the base. So the base is <laughs> yeah. big enough... Yeah. To hold him in both modes, at least the main living room is. Yeah. This is where they're being fast and loose with physics because like he transforms into jet mode like right in front of Teletran One, facing Teletran One, which means he's got a taxi around in order to take <laughs> off. And when he takes off, the jet blast is probably gonna kill Sparkplug who was left behind. <laughs> but never mind, doesn't matter. But but yeah, like Spike says to Sparkplug, hey, make sure to tell Optimus where we're going. We're probably gonna need all the help we can get. Does that count as Spike asking for help? Mm, I say if it's iffy, we okay. pass over it. Okay, then we pass over this one. That doesn't count. <laughs> that doesn't add to our tally. <laughs> our tally, as of right now, is seven, by the way. Okay. Seven instances of asking for help okay. in 15 episodes so far. Uh, so they take off. And also, I had forgotten that Broad and Windcharger once again get to be yeah. buddies in this episode yeah just like in fire in the mountain so i don't know if doug booth was like okay i really like these guys yeah because you'd think they'd want to like spread around the love because at this point i mean i guess we've sort of we've definitely seen all the other mini bots all the other ones that are the same size as Braun and windcharger and bumblebee mm -hmm. but we've seen gears and huffer a lot less that's right yeah like so it feels like could have thrown in them but and they could have done a lot of the same well actually I, what are gears's special powers is it just like infrared? complaining <laughs> <laughs> oh that was well timed <laughs> no but like huffer is really strong and i th mm -hmm. think he has like some like astronomy skills is that right hmm. i don't even remember that and uh, no, i'm tempted to look it up <laughs> but then gears i don't remember what gears special power is outside of like a special little cassette he's got inside of that megatron uses to create a super weapon later on but i i think his function is something like hauling or transportation or something weird like that hmm. which is kind of a weird function to have especially when you're not like a flatbed truck or something huge i mean he's just this little sort of like i mean he's a truck but he's a weird 
deformed kind of penny raiser truck. So ah, so Huffer has ex- superior mathematical and geometrical abilities, mm. and it says often unhappy. <laughs> so he can do math. <laughs> he can do math. His, and, his arm his sensors can powers math. <laughs> and, well, that's come on. I mean, as 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 a cartoonist who like had a lot of animosity towards math as a child, I, it did look like a superpower when a kid like actually understood you know uh algebra oh i guess but i mean if you if you think about the other guy's special powers like okay Trailbreaker can do force fields mirage has invisibility hound has holograms and huffer he can calculate like nobody's business but it says his arm sensors can also (laughs) test materials for strength heat resistance elasticity etc so he's got like he's basically like super engineer right Hmm. so that's something but yeah, so I guess I guess maybe that's what <laughs> if we're gonna like infer what Doug Booth was after on this one, it's like he's looked at the tech specs, like I don't know what I'm gonna do with that. Broad, <laughs> Broad can knock through walls, right? It's like he, he could, and Windcharger has like magnetic powers, and he's like got that you know thick gravelly voice, so great. <laughs> so they take off for Bally, and then we cut to the Decepticons again. Yep, we cut to Laserbeak, who's using his little head radar dish to intercept the transmission. Mm. And then we cut again back down at Decepticon under the sea, where we see Megatron's familiar Laserbeak alert chest buttons go off. Uh huh. So he's communicating with Laserbeak, and he is informed of the giant insects. Yeah, he, the lights lit up, and he looks down. And he's like, "Giant insects!" So yeah. he can clearly understand what's being said there, right? Yep. Very interesting mode of communication. I I really kind of like it. Yeah, I do too. It's, it's almost like having. I mean, it kind of is like having a mute character who yeah. who can still communicate but can't really speak. Yeah. Yeah. Like, and they have and they have their own special app, you know. It's like they're using like like WhatsApp <laughs> yes. or or Telegram, you know, for for just their own back channel communication. <laughs> but Megatron, who has a thing for like, if he hears that anything is big, you know, oh, that's right. Yeah, he's like, oh, it's a big robot. Well, okay, Did you that's say interesting. Giant, <laughs> I'm there. <laughs> <laughs> because i mean why else would megatron hear giant insects and think oh i want to get involved but yeah uh, i guess he was leaning towards the giant part of that <laughs> or he could have could have had a suspicion that because they were giant they were also decepticons somehow but yeah uh, whatever reason he's definitely intrigued yep and so they take off well, Megatron leaves through the tower, and he's accompanied only by Soundwave and Thundercracker. Wait That's a second. These Wait a second. These are the only ones we see with him. Surely Starscream was back at the base to say, I am, I'm sure you're going to go do some of those <laughs> giant insects, and I'm here to tell you why it's a bad idea, Megatron, right? Well, spoiler alert, Starscream is not in this episode. Shut up. And this is the only season one episode he's not in. <laughs> Wow. It seems almost completely illogical to have an episode without Starscream at this point. I mean, we've seen him so much, and he's just an ever-present force. So Just to have him not show up at all seems So you have strange. you have a theory, of course, right? Because this, this, this is the episode right after Countdown to Extinction. Uh-huh. And if you remember at the end of last episode, he was getting his from Megatron, and the Autobots were all laughing at how Megatron's <laughs> going to kill Starscream. <laughs> <laughs> That's right, Bobby's like, what do you think Megatron's going to do to Starscream? And Optimus, Optimus Prime says, nothing pleasant, I'm sure. <laughs> <laughs> and they laugh about it. Oh, my gosh. 
freedom is the right of all sentient beings, unless you're a jerk. <laughs> unless you're a POS like Starscream who shoots his old <laughs> friends in the chest. But yeah, I guess if we were to like retcon something in here, there'd be like cut away to a room where Starscream is, you know, chained to a wall and there's all sorts of saws and lasers and and he's crying. <laughs> Or my theory is that because Megatron loves cleanliness, he's having Starscream clean the base head to toe. Oh, I like that better. If I get back and I see one speck of dust, you're never on this team ever again. And if I was writing this scene, he would after he issues that order, we would let's say Starscream look across the room and Rumble would be sitting on the other end of the room with a little can of oil and he would just flick it onto the floor and <laughs> smile at Starscream. <laughs> and Starscream would groan like Sideshow Bob. <laughs> So instantly, this trio of Decepticons get to Bali, which I assume is just because of the cut and not because their base is very close to Bali. Yeah, we don't know where the Decepticon base is, do we? No, we really don't. I mean, the way travel is depicted in this series, (laughs) we really have nothing to go on other than it's in a large body of water. Probably the Atlantic or the Pacific Ocean. Mm. (laughs) So, but in any case, they got to the area around Australia quickly. <laughs> and Soundwave dispatches Ravage to investigate in this swampy area. Mm-hmm. And Ravage sniffs around until he locates the creature's lair. And the Decepticons discover that the lair is not a home for giant bugs, as Thundercracker exclaims. But instead, it's an escape module launched before their starship crashed on Earth four million years ago, according to Megatron. Mm -hmm. And Thundercracker realizes that the giant bugs are actually Decepticons, (laughs) whose identical computers turn them into Insecticons. So Thundercracker coined the name. Huh. So this right here is the sum total of information that we get on where these guys come from which tells us a little bit, but not everything. Mm. So apparently this was an escape pod from Megatron's ship, which crashed back in Episode 1. Of course, we have never seen these characters before, so if they were on Megatron's ship, they weren't on the main bridge like everyone else. But maybe there were some gunner ports or some other parts of the ship that they could have been in. And I'm guessing they were really low on the totem pole, since Megatron doesn't even recognize them a little bit later on when he sees them. Mm. So apparently their escape module, or they themselves, were able to scan for Earth alt modes once they got here. And either the only thing that came up or the closest thing that came up were bugs. And this leads to another question... We have no idea when the Insecticons were reformatted. It could have been any time in the past four million years, really. Mm -hmm. Either from a time when all that was around to scan were insects, Mm -hmm. or the computer was damaged and all it could find were insects. We don't know. So we're just inventing Fanon here. But I personally like to think that they've been awake longer than the Autobots and Decepticons. Not necessarily for four million years, but a long time back before there were any kind of vehicles around for scanning but mm-hmm. we'll get back to this in a little bit so hold on i just want to pause on two thoughts here so you said that this was an escape pod from megatron ship now when when frank walker reads the line he says it was launched before our own starship crashed on earth four million years ago mm-hmm. and the way he reads it he doesn't emphasize the word our own spaceship this is a decepticon escape module it was launched before our own starship crashed on Earth four million years ago. 
when I heard those words, I was like, I'm going to type that out and read how that sounds. And when you say it like this, like it was launched before our own spaceship crashed on mm. Earth four million years ago. Suddenly it's like, well, now it sounds like it's from a different ship. So this this line feels like in, in between Frank Welker's read on it and the way it was written, it leads to a little bit of ambiguity. Like when he when you hear Megatron say it, it sounds like he's saying, yeah, it was launched before our own spaceship crashed on Earth. So, okay, it's they were on board Megatron's ship. But when you read the words on their own, it could be read that they were a, a completely different ship. Mm-hmm. Uh, so I like that that's a little bit up in the air. Like, were they there or not? I don't know. Because when Megatron meets them later on, yeah, like you said, he doesn't recognize them. Mm-hmm. And I, I do like the idea of, like, if, if they were not in Megatron's ship... I, and I like that, that they left this open for us to interpret because the thing we keep coming back to is that Sunbow shows suggest but often don't deliver on the right. suggestion. Yeah. I like this idea of how, because the way they operate, maybe they're Decepticon deserters. Maybe they're just like, hey, you know what? This war business is not awesome. Let's just go like try to, <laughs> try to find a business for ourselves out in the universe, right? Let's it, go somewhere where we can just eat and sit out this whole war nonsense. Yeah, right? It's like, hey, you know what? Let's just go to a deserted island. And, and my personal fanon is supported by the fact that if they have been awake for a long time, which it sounds like they have, they've never gone beyond these islands. They've stayed here, mm-hmm. right? There's no stories of giant insects uh, throughout the world, you know? They've just been hanging out in Demon Swamp and just eating whatever passes by. So this whole idea of, like, being content with simplicity suggests that yeah they don't have like any like huge higher ambitions they just kind of want to be left alone and just like eat whatever comes their way which that is like kind of an interesting idea for characters in a story mm-hmm. where everybody is so keenly motivated by this war and also this is like this origin is closer to what the Dinobots origins were in the comics right yeah it's like not made just been here a long time Yep. In the comics, the Dinobots were woken up before the Autobots and Decepticons, and they were woken up in a time where there were only dinosaurs around mm-hmm. to scan. There were yeah. no cars or planes or anything for Teletran 1 to scan, mm-hmm. so they got turned into robotic dinosaurs. Yep. So, yeah, a lot, a lot of interesting questions raised by these characters showing up, but like we at least know that they are Decepticons, or once were Decepticons. So... Where do we go from here? Well, we cut to the Insecticons who have found the farm as the villagers run off at the sight of these monsters and the Insecticons begin chowing down on the crops. Mm-hmm. And we cut to Optimus and a group of Autobots who are already in Bali or near Bali. Somehow they got across the globe <laughs> once again. <laughs> uh, Skyfire, that's no problem, but the Autobots just drive it along and it's like, okay, yeah, we're on the other side of the earth now from North America. So we cut to Optimus and a group of Autobots who are already there or nearby there. And with Prime is Sideswipe, Sunstreaker, Ironhide, Wheeljack, and Trailbreaker. That's most of the other Autobots, not all, but most. But as they're driving, they run into a parade of pedestrians. And since they don't know the local phrase for excuse me, Sideswipe (laughs) decides to take them on a shortcut. And the rest of the team follows causing Sunstreaker to ask. Since when do you know anything about this countryside? Listen, I've got search instincts like a proton-powered pathfinder. And there's yet another crazy comment from Sideswipe with oft-used Autobot alliteration, but thankfully not involving some weird animal reference this time. Yeah, you're right. Like, this is like... uh, 
another opportunity for him to do that. And why did they leave that one on the floor? But, <laughs> but also, yeah, I do like this idea that like all they would have to do is like get in a robot mode and be like, Hey guys, can we just scoot through real quick? Sorry about interrupting your celebration, <laughs> but, but it's that size. I was like, Nope, let's just go drive around him, which I guess that makes kind of, that kind of makes sense. Except that like within seconds of, taking off down this this other path, what happens? <laughs> well, we soon learn that Sideswipe's shortcut has led them to a dead end, but nothing is really a dead end when you have pile drivers in your arms. So Sideswipe adapts his plan to tunnel under the villagers through the rock. Yeah. <laughs> and before we can even dispute the intelligence of this plan, we cut back to the Insecticons who are scaring off more of the farmers. Yeah. One guy abandons his tractor and Kickback kicks it with his back legs, causing it to explode. But their feeding is interrupted by the arrival of Skyfire and his team. The Insecticons immediately attack, and Bombshell shoots fire at Braun, who brushes off the flames like they were nothing. Have we talked about what form Bombshell and Shrapnel have in their insect modes? We've mentioned that Kickback is a grasshopper. So Bombshell is a tick? No, he's some kind of beetle. I forget which. Okay. But Shrapnel and Bombshell are both some sort of beetles. But to me, this is the only kind of criticism I can really lob towards the Insecticons is Kickback is pretty obviously a grasshopper. But the other two, mm-hmm. like, barely resemble insects to me. Well, Shrapnel is a stag beetle. I know that much because I, I actually put a stag beetle in one of my comics <laughs> as a character. And I remember when I looked at the, because I was looking up different kinds of beetles, because I was trying to find like something that would be something that would like cause like instant re- revulsion in a lot of people. Like, what's like a really icky mm. looking bug? And then when I saw the stag beetle, I was like, oh, that looks just like shrapnel. Oh, now mm. I know what he is. But like, I've never, I've never known exactly what bombshell is, and we'll probably get some emails <laughs> about that four million years later at gmail.com. <laughs> but yeah, to me, they're not instantly recognizable as as insects, except for kickback. So it's kind of like mm. a limitation of the toys at the time, I think. And you know, it, mm. it, we definitely weren't to Beast Wars levels of insectoid alternate modes just yet. They were very mm-hmm. blocky and not necessarily uh, resembling of what they were supposed to be at the time. Mm. Yeah, they're very stylized. But yeah, they, they shoot fire at Braun, and Braun's like, oh, it's not hot enough to singe our steel. And then Windcharger gives it up. He's like, yeah, they're not so special. <laughs> so I really like Braun and Windcharger as a little pairing of pals going into battle together. I know. It's, after revisiting these episodes, like, I kind of want to read like a mini series about yeah. those two guys, like Braun and Windcharger on the road. It'd be great. <laughs> so the Insecticons blow the remains of the tractor that they kicked into scrap, and Shrapnel uses his quote, electronic clone beams to convert the debris into clones of the Insecticons. Braun surmises that they're just optical illusions, but as the Autobots are attacked by the clones, they soon learn they're as real as anything. And Bombshell says, This is no illusion, Autobot! So we're heading into first commercial break, but this line here got used on the FAG <laughs> video cassettes, which you talked about before. You know, it's like it was like a videotape that had one 21 minute episode on it. And after the episode was over, it'd be like, here's some other exciting video cassettes you can buy from Family Home Entertainment. And then, and then again, it had that guy who sounded like an assistant principal just reading some copy about like how excited this episode was. Will the Autobots stop the evil sound wave? <laughs> 
but like in this one advertising this episode like it, it had that clip so i heard that clip so many times when i was working on my parents video store does it feel like there's any tension built here well certainly not as much as you usually would go into a commercial break, but I would say Prepare for Termination is a lot better than Louisa talking about the old gods, as you saw in a previous FHE commercial. <laughs> oh, yeah, yeah that's right. <laughs> we have much to fear. That uh, clip never really made me go like, ah, oh, all the exciting stuff that's going to happen in there. But yeah, Prepare for Termination with that weird little, like, what does he do? He's like, this is no illusion. All about these, like, <laughs> he says prepare for termination but yeah so okay we have some of our favorite heroes up against three guys who can apparently make copies of themselves out of garbage yeah that's a big power yeah i mean i don't know if they felt they were sort of like stuck like okay we have to c- continuously up the ante here. We made the Dinobots, and the Dinobots are super strong. So what are we going to... We can't have insects be super strong, can we? Well, what if they can make more of themselves, and like they could just make an infinite amount of themselves? Wow, that is super strong. <laughs> well, I do think that it points to insects uh like their their strength is in the fact they can swarm right Mm -hmm. it's like one bee kind of upsetting a swarm of bees oh no you know uh locusts oh there's a little locust over there oh it's a plague of locusts oh no you know so i guess it's playing into that Mm -hmm. it's a good tie-in but i i just love the the kid logic language of electronic clone beams it totally sounds something like like an 11 year old would come up with what's his power he has electronic clone beams oh wow Mm -hmm. what can that do well if you see garbage (laughs) in the ground he could turn into more of him well that's actually pretty creative (laughs) i'm impressed way to go let's make a note here that the insecticons do recognize these as autobots so they at least know or remember that Autobots are their enemies. Good catch. That's right. Because I was about to argue, they don't call them Autobots at any time, but they do. Mm-hmm. And they said, this is no illusion Autobot. So yeah. that's why they instantly attack. And we'll touch more on exactly what they know or remember in a few minutes. But right now, we're learning that Stinkor is available. And he's a Masters of the Universe figure that actually stinks. Now, He-Man! Smell your own stink, Stinkor! Yeah! Oh, Yark! <laughs> and we're learning that Mr. Owl can get to the center of a Tootsie Pop in three licks. Let's find out. One, two, three, three. What a jerk. Give it back, Mr. Owl. And we'll learn about My Little Pony Baby Ponies. Mm. My Little Pony Baby Ponies. Baby Bonnet School of Dance. And what's this? Action figures that turn into rocks. Oh. I don't know about you, Jersey, but now that young Hoover knows that there's action figures that turn into rocks, I'm going to yeah. leave these lame Transformers in the dirt. Hello, what? Rock Lords. You control their appearance, but no force in the universe can contain the power and the fury of Rock Lords. Shaking, quaking, crashing, breaking, Rock Lords. From Tonka. Oh, Hoover. We all know that a rock is so much cooler than an F-15 or a Lamborghini. No, it's not. Uh, in fact, I'm ending the podcast here. No, you're not. Eh, I'm ending it. Join us next week for our replacement podcast, Rock Lords Rule, because ain't nothing cooler than rocks. Whoever get back here, we're finishing this episode. We're at least going to finish this episode. 
Nope, I'm all about rock lords now. You know the saying, once you get rocks, Transformers are boring as socks. Nobody says that, Hoover. Uh, and by the way, Thundercracker's in this episode. See? Thundercracker, right here. Oh. Um. Okay, so like I was saying, back to our episode here. Okay, thank, thank you. <laughs> The Insecticons have the four Autobots outgunned thanks to their clones, so the Autobots flee to hide in the tall wheat stalks or it's whatever like, kind of stalks looks, these are. It's kind of like a cornfield, it looks like. Not to like read into every little thing they do in this this series, but like something that comes from my biography, like so not only did I grow up with sixty seven siblings, but I grew up in a very <laughs> rural area where my backyard backed to a farm. And there was no fence between my backyard and the farm. So my backyard just stopped. And then it was just uh, some years it was wheat fields. Some years it was cornfields. And let me tell you, ah. there are, if you've ever done like a corn ma- a cornfield maze, like around Halloween, there are a few things as fun as like when you're a little kid and you have like a bunch of siblings and just going and getting lost in a cornfield. Because like <laughs> it really was an entertaining thing. Cause, like, I would it was, say there are a few things as fun in the country yeah 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 i mean I, I i not having any context of what it was like growing up in a city the way you did where it's like oh i have lots i can go to arcades right. <laughs> why well, go to the arcade when there's this great cornfield in the backyard but, but it was like it was it, there was something kind of fun about it because like once you got like 50 yards 100 yards in you kind of lost all sense of your bearings you didn't know where you were and so there was like this thrill of fear of like i don't know how to get home but you knew that if you just walk in one direction long enough you're gonna get out like the cornfield doesn't go on forever but it feels like it does so anyway i had a lot of childhood experiences of running around in cornfields with my brothers and so like now, this did your parents send you guys out into the cornfield maybe in hopes they would have to pay for less children it was actually some it was, of them never came back. It was exactly like that Twilight Zone episode, where it's like <laughs> you didn't eat all your peas, go to the cornfield. <laughs> no, but like it's like the, this scene, like as a child, it connect, I connected with. It was like that. That's right. Hiding in a cornfield, it totally works. My older brother can't find me now. <laughs> so that's like what they do. They go out into the cornfield, and the insecticons are like those cowards. They're hiding, and so. Shrapnel, okay, so let's keep track here. Shrapnel can make clones of himself and now with his electronic clone beams. And then he like can pull his hand into his, his wrist and then out comes like this like phantasm ball that <laughs> flies into the sky and explodes into knives. <laughs> Might be a little too on the nose to refer to it as a shrapnel grenade, but it basically that's what it is. Because that's his name. And yeah, like, and, and the knives like start cutting down all the corn or wheat or whatever. And then Windcharger's like, oh, get behind me. Mm-hmm. And he's like, those knives can't get through my repulsor field. So. But before this, we've cut back to the Autobot group, the other Autobot group. Yeah. And Sideswipe is still single handedly tunneling through the rock while all the other <laughs> Autobots are literally just standing around waiting <laughs> for right. Sideswipe to get through the tunnel. <laughs> He's like, Are you guys going to help me? I'm like, this is your idea. <laughs> <laughs> I also like what this shows of Sideswipe's personality and that once he has an idea, he sticks yeah. to it, even if it's a bad idea. He's mm. not going to prove himself wrong. He's not going to say, sorry, guys, this was a dumb idea. I give up. He's going to yeah. keep doing it while the other Autobots just stand around and go, well, that's sideswipe for you. Yeah, Wheeljack leans over to Trailbreaker and he's like, sunk cost fallacy. You know? 
Anyway, but yeah, so like he's like he's like, well, I still think this is the best way to go. You'll see. He's he's dig. He keeps on pounding the wall. And yeah, then we go back to shrapnel launching the phantasm ball that turns into knives. And Wind Charger uses this new thing called the repulsor field, which I'm guessing is some kind of like reverse magnetism kind yeah. of thing. I mean, that's that, his powers, that, right? You know, that checks out as far as his magnetic powers and whatnot. Yeah. That seems a logical extension of them. Another characteristic of Boothian episodes is that characters special abilities get spotlighted you know you got mm. sideswipe with his pile drivers yeah wind charger with his repulsor field everybody's gonna get to do something that shows you what makes them unique compared to the other characters yep. and makes you want to go out and buy these exciting toys yeah speaking yep. of exciting toys just then <laughs> megatron soundwave and thundercracker arrive and they land beside the insecticons and skyfire can't transform thanks to the kick he took earlier from kickback and so he can't provide them a ticket out so braun remarks that at least they didn't bring that sawed off nerd rumble along but soundwave is right there and for all we know rumble is inside soundwave's tape deck but maybe (laughs) braun pays such little attention to these guys just mows them down and doesn't really think about them yeah maybe he doesn't even realize that soundwave unleashes other little people yeah yeah like that that's the the other scene that got left on the cutting room floor was winter just like you know that soundwave like ejects the tapes <laughs> and then like braun just looks at the camera and goes like oh but yeah <laughs> is that where those guys are coming from i just punch them <laughs> And then he turns to like one of the other autobots like, could you do that? <laughs> oh, none of us could do that yet. Blaster's still on Cybertron. Oh! <laughs> Just show me the guy to hit. <laughs> so Megatron and Shrapnel start talking, and Shrapnel says that he doesn't know Megatron, but he feels a kinship. Yeah. And so this brings up more questions. If the Insecticons were on Megatron's ship, they should know who he is. That's right. But my fanon is that the crash onto Earth damaged them heavily causing their spotty memory and maybe even shrapnel speech impediment Mm. because none of the insecticons if you think about it none of them really seem all there yeah maybe it was years and years of living in the swamp maybe it was the crash maybe it was all the above but there seems to be plenty of reasons one could invent that they are so weird and unusual yeah, I mean, I, I you could even imagine a scenario where that maybe they're like cultists of some kind, right? Like there's mm. some kind of weird living on a compound kind of thing, and Shrapnel's got like this whole cult of personality around himself, and that's why he's got mm-hmm. like this weird affected language and whatever. And like, so it's like, don't go out there, you know, you don't go outside of the of the compound kind of thing. Yeah. But yeah, why doesn't he know who Megatron is? And maybe maybe just the isolation just made them all kind of weird. Mm-hmm. That also it supports my own personal little fan in where it's like they're not they weren't on Megatron ship. They were from a, an escape module from some other Decepticon exploration vessel. And they were like, you know what, this war stuff sucks. Let's go, you know, form our own little colony and just <laughs> and just live the easy life of just grabbing whatever food happens to float by. <laughs> Let's move to Food Planet. <laughs> we're gonna go to Candy Island. <laughs> Whatever the the backstory, I like that seeing Autobots like activate something in them. You know, it's like, mm-hmm. whoa, what are those? And they don't even know. It's like Autobots get them. You know. Yep. So Shrapnel suggests that they celebrate their kinship by destroying <laughs> the Autobots who are just standing around. <laughs> <laughs> <Yeah>. <sighs> Since Skyfire can't fly away, they apparently 
didn't think running away was an option, so they're just sort of there, like half mile away or so. <laughs> yeah, and like it's like you, you guys know you're all cars except for Skyfire, right? Like you could <laughs> you could transform and like beat feet, and like Skyfire could just like run. He's got big long strides, yep. but they're they're just like standing there, like going like, oh, what do we do? <laughs> Well, again, Braun and Windcharger maybe not known for their <laughs> exquisite planning. There was just That's a few true. a few episodes ago they decided they could go to Peru by themselves and beat up all the Decepticons <laughs> and not need anyone else. And then they <laughs> learned that they needed help, so they had to go back and get everyone else. That famous scene where Braun did the thing where he leans over to Windcharger, just like in all cartoons, and he starts whispering, okay, here's what we're going to do. And when you when you translate, it's like, we jump on him and we hit him. And Windcharger's like, I like this. <laughs> and here we are again. Yeah. So Shrapnel says, like, it's my honor to ask you to help us destroy these walking scrap piles. And then Megatron says... With pleasure. <laughs> but back at Sideswipe's homemade cave, the Autobots are really getting tired of this dumb idea. So Prime has him cut it out so that Prime can just ram through the remains of the cave wall in truck mode. Mm-hmm. And thankfully, Prime is tough enough to drive through solid rock, and the group is back on their way. So this whole point just seems like, okay, we need to busy the Autobots for a while. What yeah, let's do? slow them down. Yeah. Yeah, so it we create seems some a little thin as far as like plot wise. It really just seems like an excuse to keep them busy for a few minutes. Which I, I mean, I do like Doug Booth episodes. I love mm-hmm. the Boothian ones, but there's there's a much more entertaining way they could have done that. Yeah, <laughs> like it could have been you could have done the kind of like the the um what is that old Popeye cartoon of Sweet Pea on the construction site where it's all about just like the misadventures of trying to keep Sweet Pea safe and all the mm-hmm. like the endless frustrations of him just like oh I finally got him safe ah another problem it could be like oh they, they encountered this village celebration ah we'll go around it oh there's another problem over here ah we'll go around that oh there's another problem right and like like <laughs> could have this moment where Optimus is just like all right geez why can't we just find a nice straight way to go uh, you know it's like here's the trouble of being a car <laughs> that would have been fun but instead it's like yeah we're just like cutting away to sideswipe pounding rock and a bunch of autobots watching him <laughs> but it is something satisfying about optimus getting into truck mode and smashing through the rock right yeah. like all kool-aid man style you know <laughs> yes, exactly <laughs> oh yeah And all the cars jump out behind him. Everybody's in vehicle mode. And Spike looks over his shoulder. Yep. Turns out they were not far away at all. So they catch up to the other Autobots. And this causes Spike to exclaim, It's Optimus and the whole bunch. Now, I imagine you had a problem with this. (laughs) Well, I wouldn't call it a problem. I would say that the Autobots make a much more fitting bunch (laughs) than the Decepticons ever did. Yeah, but that's that was Megatron's thing. <laughs> so now Prime has his own bunch. It's just bunch versus bunch, kids. <laughs> and the Decepticons turn around, surprised to find Sunstreaker and Sideswipe launching towards them. <laughs> yeah, I like this. The animation isn't like super great, but I like the idea of what's happening here is that mm-hmm. like those two, like they don't just like show up and be like, okay, Prime, what do we do? They just like dive in screaming like yep. they're like two 1980s like Tom Cruise characters, you know? <laughs> they knock down the Insecticons and are soon wrestling with Megatron, who unfortunately makes short work of the pair. Yeah. But there's this great, I wouldn't, well, great animation is not right, but there's this 
I'd say great scene where you see yeah. like <laughs> Megatron knocks uh, Sunstreaker down and then he lifts up Sideswipe like above his head. Yeah. And he tosses Sideswipe at the other Autobots. It's worth noting that like both Sunstreaker and Sideswipe land on Megatron and they're just like like sort of crawling all over him. Like yeah. they're like they're like just trying to like pull him down to the ground and Megatron just like kicks Sunstreaker off of him and like <laughs> you see him struggle a little bit as he's trying to pull Sideswipe off of his waist yep. and then lifts him up over his head. Yeah, it's just like total street fight out, yeah. of, the, <laughs> out of the middle of the street there. And they're yeah. not bothering with lasers. They're just like, slug him. <laughs> <laughs> Broad told me this would work. Let's just hit him really hard. <laughs> so Sideswipe goes flying towards the other Autobots, and Skyfire thankfully catches him. And then Prime orders his bunch to attack, and Megatron mm-hmm. orders his bunch to take to the air because he knows of a nearby oil refinery where they can power up. Yeah. And back at the farm... Wheeljack has patched up Skyfire so he can transform again as he heads off to chase the Decepticons and the rest of the Autobots transform and follow on the ground. So Megatron left with the Insecticons and all the clones are still with him, right? Mm-hmm. So like this this comes up later in the episode, but I'm just wondering how that works. Like because I assumed that once Shrapnel makes the clones that they're essentially like living Insecticons. But and like he doesn't need to like maintain them or anything. But I just want to I want to mark that because like they fly away with Megatron as if they're like fully autonomous sentient creatures. Right? Mm-hmm. I don't know if maybe they just need like a single command from Shrapnel and they just continue that doing that command until they get another command. It's like yeah. it's just like you said before. It's like we don't know, so yeah. it just sort of activates that little thing in our mind where we start to ask questions like, how is this working? Yeah, it's not 100% clear. And later on, there's like another line that makes it even more confusing. But so Decepticons are flying along. And then Soundwave detects that Skyfire is approaching. (laughs) My sensors indicate we are no longer alone. Yeah. (laughs) (laughs) Okay, Soundwave, thanks for being creepy. (laughs) (laughs) So then Megatron sends the Insecticons off to attack Skyfire while the Decepticons continue on with the Insecticon clones to the refinery yeah that's weird so okay and so bombshell kickback and shrapnel well i guess megatron's saying like go show some of the more exciting play features that you have (laughs) so that the kids will tell their parents they all know what we can do i'm gonna go get some oil while you do that so so shrapnel and bombshell start munching on skyfire's wings causing him to fly erratically and seeing mm-hmm. the trouble from the ground, Wheeljack flies up to assist and manages to fell the pair of Insecticons. But he is knocked out of the air by Kickback. Again, Kickback creating this trend of using his feet as his main weapon. Mm-hmm. Prime manages to catch Wheeljack on the top of his trailer, and then Wheeljack thanks him. But let's also, let's not move past this without acknowledging that Kickback has to make another foot pun here. Because <laughs> uh, he says, uh, what is it, like, Wheeljack flies up and he shoots his shoulder cannons to knock Bombshell and Shrapnel off of Skyfire's wings. And Skyfire's like, thanks for the hand. And then <laughs> Kickback's like, how about a foot? And kicks him. <laughs> and then he falls. And then, and then there's also that line when Wheeljack lands on Optimus. And he's like, I'll keep on trucking. <laughs> So we go back to the refinery. Where the Decepticons scare some employees away. <laughs> <laughs> yep, we got the, the yellow hard hats, but white shirts. 
on these yep. guys. So yeah, they do, they don't have tan shirts in. We're in another in country. Bali. Yeah, <laughs> so we've got the white cotton, not the gray cotton here. And they run away. It's really fast. It's like, oh, monsters of the sky, run! And they run away. Uh, and then Soundwave, like the minute they land, he doesn't wait for instructions. He's like, all right, energy cubes, here they come. He yep. starts coming up his chest. Yeah. At this point, this is a very familiar plan for the Decepticons. So Soundwave doesn't need to ask what to do. They're here at an oil refinery. So let's start making energon cubes. Now, in, in a more modern Transformers cartoon, I imagine that would have turned into a joke where Megatron would stop and be like, I didn't say make energon cubes. And then Soundwave would be like, oh. And then he'd be like, okay, make energon cubes. And then Soundwave would start <laughs> making the energon cubes. <laughs> <laughs> Now, back at the Autobot caravan, Shrapnel is flying above, and he uses his special override waves. <laughs> Shrapnel and- is like the most versatile, talented, and powerful Decepticon <laughs> we've ever met. Okay, we're keeping track. He's made. He has his Phantasm Ball. He's got electronic clone beams. Pretty powerful stuff. Now he's got override waves. What can they do? <laughs> he takes control of Sunstreaker and Sideswipe, causing them to drive erratically and charge towards the Autobots in an attempt to cause a collision. However, Trailbreaker is able to disrupt Shrapnel's control with his force field. So he can get that force field in between the guys and his special override waves will no longer work there's a really nice performance by cory burton here as sunstreaker like remember we don't really get a whole lot out of sunstreaker uh except that like it's like hey don't mess up my paint hey don't touch mm-hmm. the face i just had it chromed hey i'm really really vain and i don't like to get dirty but in this scene he says shoot out our tires before he makes us do it again and he sounds like he's panicked right yeah. and how panicked is Sunstreaker? He's asking you to wreck up his car mode. <laughs> That's how afraid he is right now. And so, like, I, I feel like that line delivers like a little bit. Of, this is something that we've talked about before on the show. It's like when the characters actually get like really emotionally upset. It doesn't happen a lot. And when it does, it feels like, oh, this is intense. This is scary. And as a young person, that was the line that was like, whoa, whoa, this is for real. <laughs> but I mean, it's it's not animated in a way to make me go, this is for real. It's it's all Corey Burton's performance in that line. But then that trailbreaker's like, save your tires, guys, and he used the force field. And and Shrapnel's like, ah, interruption, you know. And then <laughs> and then they, they they're not being controlled by him anymore, but he's still floating up there. Which makes Braun come up with another master plan. <laughs> Goes to Optimus, like, Optimus, come here, I got an idea. Here's what we're going to do. <laughs> well, Braun's been reading some X Men comics, and he yeah. asks Optimus to fastball special him up at Shrapnel. Now, what does that mean? Because there are some of us who didn't grow up on X Men. Well, it means that Optimus just grabs Braun and tosses him into the air yeah. in robot mode. And Braun lands on Shrapnel, again doing his familiar move, seen last seen in Fire of the Mountain, where he's riding his enemy like a Bronco. Yeah, I, I do like that, that, that Braun's got, like, one trick. Yep. <laughs> Guys, I got it. Here's what we're going to do. Oh, here we go. Is it is it throw you up in the air and you land on the guy and you hit him in the face? Well, yeah. <laughs> no, it's completely different. I drop out of a jet and then I land on the guy and then I hit him in the face. <laughs> I love that idea. Two like the variation. different plans to choose from. <laughs> yeah, his only variation is how he gets on the guy's back. <laughs> no, Wheeljack's going to make a catapult, which is going to launch me in the air so that I land on his back and hit him in the face. <laughs> <laughs> but it's it's a cool-looking scene where, again, it's not like super high frame rate animation, but it's like cool watching him like ride this insect and punch him in the head. 
and he's cussing him out. Yeah, it's working pretty well until Kickback flies up and knocks Braun off, and Braun starts to plummet through the air. And thankfully, Skyfire is there to catch him. And then yeah. we see the Insecticons head off for the oil refinery. Right, but Yant move on before acknowledging that Kickback says, that's mm. what I call going down to defeat from defeat. <laughs> <laughs> Kickback, you're not writing for Conan O'Brien anytime soon. <laughs> <laughs> <sighs> I mean, it's like, it's like we're going to find out in a later iteration that Kickback actually has like a whole bunch of kid Insecticons. And so that's why he's just like got all this dad humor all the time <laughs> he's got lots of larvae at home <laughs> the, the, the larvae are all like oh kickback i mean dad <laughs> so the insecticons head off for the oil refinery but now we go to a commercial after braun is safe you would think mm. they would have used braun falling as the commercial cliffhanger like oh well braun go splat on the ground yeah but nope so maybe they've realized that 15 episodes in, the kids are on to these little <laughs> lame commercial cliffhangers. They don't buy them anymore. <laughs> so now we go to a commercial, uh, even though Braun is safe and we're not fearing for his life. <laughs> so now we can learn about the evil horde, a strange new faction in He-Man and the Masters of the Universe. Mantena! Or we can see Glowworm, a weird glow-in-the-dark doll of a worm that somehow was supposed to be appealing to kids. <laughs> he looks like Jiminy Cricket without feet. <laughs> I want to sleep with a worm, and I want him to glow like he's irradiated. <laughs> Radioactive worm. Musical Glowworm, Glowbug, and Glow Butterfly, each sold separately from Hasbro Preschool. Or maybe we'll see a commercial for the G.I. Joe comic book. Look, Storm Shadow the Cobra Ninja is rescuing Cobra Commander. Our new team is ready, Commander. No, Destro, not quite. What does Cobra Commander mean? Find out in the further adventures of G.I. Joe from Marvel Comics. Oh, what will happen next? Find out in Marvel Comics. <laughs> but soon, we, we now, now return, return to the Transformers, Transformers. And we open on the oil refinery. And it turns out Rumble is here. Yeah. And he and Thundercracker are filling empty Energon cubes with oil as Megatron leisurely leans against the <laughs> wall with his fusion cannon removed. And he looks so incredibly chill. This is the most yeah. chill we have seen <laughs> Megatron in all 15 of these episodes. Now, something else we should note is this episode, a lot of still stores got used out of this for the Transformers collector's card set from mm -hmm. the early 80s. Yeah, I think they were called action cards. Action cards! <laughs> Transformer action cards. Action cards. And they weren't really marketed like with the other baseball cards or anything. Uh, they were always like in the toy aisle, like right next to the toys. It's like if you couldn't afford a little mini bot, you could probably afford a pack of action cards, which at least had pictures from the cartoon. I, I wonder if that would work nowadays, like just putting the word action before anything to make it more interesting. <laughs> this is an action podcast, everybody. Transformer action cards. <laughs> Welcome to our action podcast. Yeah, you lock yourselves in, buckle up. It's an action podcast. Transformer action cards. Because, like, Pokemon cards are action cards that you could do something with them, you know? <laughs> Magic the Gathering cards are action cards. The Transformers cards were just, like, stills from the cartoon. Transformer action cards. With, like, a little information about the episode. And then, like, there was, like, a handful of the tech spec images, right? Like, the, the character drawing with... Yeah, the toy art. 
yeah. the toy art with like information on the back of the card. Transformer action cards. Uh, action cards. Oh, I did not realize they were called that. <laughs> but yeah, but like I remember that was a card, wasn't it? When the Megatron leaning against the wall with his fusion cannon, like <laughs> leaning against the wall. Yep. Because I know I remember in the early days of our friendship, you like scanned it and blew it up big and like <laughs> made printouts of it for your room. Uh, <laughs> it's like this makes me so happy to see Megatron like just relaxing. <laughs> <laughs> And I don't remember if it was you or me, but we had that scanned and one of us superimposed this shot of Megatron over a Decepticon symbol. And I recently found it. It was my wallpaper for the longest time. (laughs) And I still have that little file. Like he's leading on the Decepticon symbol. I'll be sure to put it on our Facebook group with the post about this episode. But (laughs) uh, but yeah, a lot of the action cards seem to be from this episode. I remember a lot of the shots. Seeing yeah. seeing Megatron versus Sunstreaker and Sideswipe was another one of them, I believe. Mm-hmm. But yeah, th- that this shot in particular, I know that you've gotten a lot of mileage out of over the years. So yeah, it's just like <laughs> it just looks so out of place. Megatron's usually so tough and always ready for battle, but now his fusion cannon is just like on the ground. Like he's like, oh, finally I can put this down for a little yeah, while. Yeah, yeah, yeah. It's like it's like it, it weighs something, and he's kind of like, oh, my dogs are barking. He takes off the fusion <laughs> cannon, and but but it's always within arm's reach because like he, we're actually going to see him put it back on his forearm in a second. Yep. So the the real Insecticons arrive at the refinery, and they're hungry. So Megatron gestures to a parked oil tanker that will serve as their meal. And the Insecticons begin feeding on the oil within, spilling much into the sea. Yeah, they're making a mess. This is important for what's going to happen in a little bit. Yeah, they're definitely messy eaters. And it seems like this is their first time eating oil or drinking oil right the way they're talking yeah. about it so again supporting this idea that they've been hanging out in demon swamp for probably millions of years why did they never leave <laughs> they can fly you know like they, they leave to go to a farm pretty quickly early in this episode but for some reason they've never bothered to leave demon swamp weird our first agoraphobic transformers perhaps <laughs> Yeah, like that's the inner dialogue they're all having right now. It's like, oh, I'm outside, I'm outside, I'm outside. <laughs> <laughs> Let's get back to the hut quick. <laughs> it just adding to the weirdness of these characters, but uh, this fact that like they're like, oh, oil, how delicious. Like, yeah, oil's been around for like a while now, guys. <laughs> Why did you not know about it? That's weird. But So Skyfire shows up. Yep, he arrives on the scene and the Decepticons fire upon him, but he manages to knock the feeding Insecticons off of the tanker as he strafes them and just basically rams them right off. Yeah. And Prime and his bunch arrive, causing Megatron to exclaim, More interlopers! Soundwave, activate the rabbit cassette! (laughs) Now this seems like a very weird and impersonal way to say eject ravage. Yeah. This would be like, I go to your house, your wife answers the door, and I say, activate the Jersey human. Right. Right. It is It is a socially awkward way to address his troops. Activate the Ravage cassette. Doug Booth has written other episodes where he's like, release Ravage, you know, eject Ravage. Yeah. I mean, just earlier in this very same episode, he says something along those lines that yeah. makes perfect sense and isn't odd. Yeah. Soundwave, send Ravage to investigate. Activate the Ravage cassette. I, I, I have no explanation for this. 
I don't know yeah. why you would use that language. The only thing I can think about is like he got some studio note. It's like, hey, can we point out that Ravage is a cassette? Because you're just using him like the kids understand that he, you know, what he is. But we really want to hit home that he's a cassette inside this tape deck. When in doubt, blame studio execs. Yes. Or anything <laughs> awkward. Yes. This is the studio notes. We're with you, Doug Booth. We know what you were up against. <laughs> So the Autobots take some cover to shield themselves from the Decepticon laser fire, but the Insecticons pop up behind them as Shrapnel launches another explosive phantasm grenade. (laughs) And this forces the Autobots to hop into the sea to evade the blast. And noticing the oil that's leaked into the sea, Prime orders that they use extreme caution. However, Thundercracker is here to give them a warm welcome and launches fire at them. Yep. I love this part. I do love this part because, like, it, it's Thundercracker's like, finally, I get to be menacing. Check <laughs> this out. You're floating in oil. I've got a flamethrower. Boom. That for you, Autobots. But what do they do? <laughs> the Autobots duck underwater to avoid the flames and they emerge under the decking that Thundercracker is standing on. So they push up through the wood and send Thundercracker falling into the flaming ocean. <laughs> That's pretty good. And the fire starts spreading towards the docked oil tanker, causing Optimus to call Ironhide over to use his fire extinguisher hand blaster thingies to stop the flames. This is a really nice looking scene, but yeah, it's unclear what Ironhide's actually doing. It's like he just like holds up his hands and like this cool looking gas comes out of it, which I guess is CO2 if he is a walking chemistry lab, according to his file card, right? Yeah, but, we've definitely seen him do things like this before, so it's, it's not... Uh, it's not entirely out of left field. No, but but typically he telegraphs what he's doing. Like some liquid nitrogen should cool things off, you know. Yeah. Like this time he just like does it. He's he's all about action in this scene. <laughs> and thankfully, Ironhide finally got something to do in this yeah. episode. <laughs> yeah, really. <laughs> like I'm tired of Braun stealing my spotlight. <laughs> so suddenly, Shrapnel does a Hoover impression and is excited to see dark storm clouds appear in the sky. Yeah, well, and 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 it's uh, kickback who says, "Shrapnel, look, the clouds, so our storm clouds. The day is won." And Megatron <laughs> says, "What is that idiot grasshopper talking about?" <laughs> and then Bombshell fires a missile into the cloud, which sends bolts of lightning out. And these bolts of lightning, Shrapnel can attract with his big pincers around his head, so that they work as sort of lightning rods, and he attracts the lightning into him, and he can redirect the lightning out of his hands. Okay, so hold on. He has electronic clone beams. <laughs> he has phantasm ball that turns into knives. He has, what was it, his like override wave beams? <laughs> And he can make lightning. <laughs> he, can, he can redirect lightning from storms. Wow. Shrapnel. <laughs> why? Like, uh, there's got to be a story here why he left the Decepticon. I, okay, here's my... I, I'm beginning to develop my own fan theory here. <laughs> so the, the price of being capable is everybody asks you to help. <laughs> so Shrapnel is like the most in demand of the Decepticons. Like, look, you could do so many things. Can you help me out with this thing? Can you help us out? Can you help us with this skirmish? Can you help us with this little endeavor over here? And Shrapnel's like, like, all oh, right. Oh, man, I just want to eat. I just want to eat. Look, it's not my fault. I'm so darned awesome at everything. <laughs> and, let's, and they gather to it as his best buddies. Like, hey, you guys are weird like I'm weird. Let's go. And you, you have the same color scheme. Let's, <laughs> let's move away to the to, to pl- food planet and we'll just eat. But now that he's back, he's like, oh, you know, it's like every time I think I'm out, they pull me back in. And now he's making <laughs> lightning out of his hands. 
And what does he do with his lightning? He shoots Wheeljack and Trailbreaker with it, sending them hurtling backward. And then he does the same to Optimus Prime. Now, he says, like, taste the lightning, Autobot. And he shoots <laughs> Wheeljack. Taste lightning is a pretty good line. And Wheeljack's like, oh, it tastes terrible. Now, <laughs> I told you the story when I accidentally walked into an electric fence, didn't I? <laughs> I don't remember that one. So, like, Let's when I was. Hear it so, now. This is, so yeah, because like every time I saw this scene as I was growing up, I was taken back to like how that felt. So when I was, this is like before Transformers, I was like eight. I was visiting, remember I grew up in a very rural area. So I was visiting a friend's house and he lived on a farm and the farm had livestock and they had electric fences. And I didn't know that they had electric fences. I wasn't warned. We were just walking around on the farm and I wasn't paying attention to where I was going. I was probably talking about, you know, cartoons of some kind. <laughs> and then next thing I know, I'm being electrocuted. <laughs> I mean, this is a long time ago. I was eight years old, and it was a, tr- it was a, I want to say a traumatic, but it was an upsetting experience. So my memory is hazy as to how long. I, I, it was, it was probably one of those situations where I just like bounced off, right? Because I think right. that's how that works. I right? just like fall away from it. But in my little eight-year-old brain, I was there forever, and I did actually have like a little burn mark on my stomach from where I made contact with the wire. So I, I had a very clear memory of that, what that felt like when that when i experienced that uh, uh so every time i saw this as a kid i was like oh wheeljack i know what that's like dude that sucks <laughs> uh, and yeah so i don't know i connected with this scene <laughs> the closest i ever got to that is there was a summer where i was really fond of building forts out okay. of like upside down bicycles and bedspreads and stuff so <laughs> i was i built this fort out in the front yard and i ran an extension cord out to put my record player in the fort. <laughs> I was probably like out in the fort listening to Def Leppard on my portable Fisher Price record player. And you I remember you I, make this fort complete hysteria. <laughs> <laughs> this was pre-hysteria. This was this was uh, pyromania. Pyromania. Okay. <laughs> in my opinion, the last good Def Leppard album. But anyway. <laughs> So I was unplugging the extension cord for some reason, and as I was unplugging it from the record player plug, my finger touched the prongs of the record player, Uh and I guess there was still some charge in it, so I got this little shock, and I was like, whoa, I just got shocked. (laughs) And, you know, that it's not quite walking into a fence, but... uh, (laughs) That was like the only time in my young life where I got to experience anything along those lines. It's not a good feeling. Don't play with no. live wires, kids. <laughs> Never play around electrical wires or you could be playing with fire. Remember what Roadblock said. <laughs> don't don't try to jump the down power line. There's enough electricity in there to French fry an elephant. <laughs> so, yeah, so the, the, the storm clouds gather, shrapnel gets lightning through his body, is shooting it out of his hands. He's taking out... A wheeljack trailbreaker takes out Prime, and Spike's like, "I know what I need to do." Yep. Spike has Bumblebee transform into car mode, and he speeds towards Shrapnel. And Shrapnel tries to dispose of him in the same way, but the lightning just dissipates as it hits Bumblebee. And Spike says, and he sounds surprised, like, "We're okay." <laughs> <laughs> to which Bumblebee should be like, "Uh, you didn't know we would be." <laughs> But Spike tells everybody a cool science fact. <laughs> Says their rubber tires insulate them from the lightning. Science! 
So Wheeljack decides to use Sideswipe and Sunstreaker as roller skates, and he gets on top of them and rides them towards Shrapnel, and Shrapnel flees, and then Prime rides on Braun and Ironhide in much the same way, and Mm -hmm. they make short work of some of the Insecticon clones. Mm -hmm. Now, does this work? I don't know. I mean... (laughs) Is it time to call Mythbusters? <laughs> shoot lightning at a car? Is it not going to do anything because you know, the car's I, sitting on rubber? I have not looked into this. You know, I don't know. I remember hearing stories about this when I was a kid, like friends at school, like high school kids who would be like, oh yeah, there was a big storm and lightning struck my car, but like, obviously I'm okay. <laughs> I, I, I don't know. I, 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 rubber is an insulator, so... Yeah, but I mean, it's like, just because the rubber's on the ground, I mean, it's not like the lightning is hitting the rubber (laughs) and you're insulated from it. Lightning is hitting the metal and you just happen to be attached to the ground with rubber in between. You know, it's like, I'm not sure if that is enough. Okay, I just Mm. did a quick internet search. Uh Car tires do not protect you from lightning strikes. (laughs) Although the rubber in a tire acts as an insulator at low voltages, the voltage in a lightning bolt is far too high to be stopped by tires (laughs) or air. (laughs) Thanks, Transformers. <laughs> we could have been under attack from someone shooting lightning and said, oh, thank goodness I watched that Transformers episode. And then we could have rammed towards our adversary and, and just gone to our death. <laughs> well, there's a big storm out there. Maybe we shouldn't be on the road. It's okay. We've got rubber tires. <laughs> Panel two. Now we're dead. Thanks, Spike. I... I am I am really upset by this. This is like I don't like the idea of Spike steering me wrong. I really don't. <laughs> well, Doug Booth didn't have the Google access that we do. <laughs> yeah, I guess not. Man, like, let me look this up in an encyclopedia. I guess I'll go to the library tomorrow. And then he's like, "Oh, the library is closed." <laughs> oh, I think it'll work. <laughs> it's gonna air on national television. How what could go wrong? <laughs> Everybody's gonna forget this show in two years anyway. <laughs> Oh, therein lies a, a very important lesson. But okay, so so while the Autobots are busy and not dying, yeah. Megatron shoots the oil tanker, re-engulfing it into flames. Yeah, and he pushes it towards the refinery. Prime sees this just in time, and he dives into the water and stops it from crashing into the refinery. Yeah, he kind of like turns it on its side, and then it starts sinking. And I'm just like, okay, well, you saved everybody from getting blown up, and now we have an ecological disaster on right. our hands. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> And in the meantime, Bumblebee yeah. and Spike find themselves surrounded by Insecticon clones. So at this point, Spike knows there's only one solution to this problem. Mm-hmm. And that's to yell for help. <laughs> Trailbreaker, help! Use your force field. It's our only chance. You got it, Spike. <laughs> so now, this is the eighth instance eighth. in the series. Fifteen yelling for help. Yeah. Luckily, Trailbreaker is there with his force field, and he's again able to sever Shrapnel's control beams, causing the clones to disintegrate back into the metal scrap. Now, see, this is why I asked earlier about when Megatron left for the oil refinery with the clones and told the yeah. Insecticons to go back for the Autobots. Like, was Shrapnel like sending his beam there the whole time? Yeah, I guess so. Yeah, that's weird. I mean, we're definitely thinking about it harder than Doug Booth ever did, but... Well, yeah, he stared us right on the tires thing, too. (laughs) (laughs) I like also that when the Insecticons vanish, it cuts the spikes like, whew, we made it. What What do you mean you made it? Like, you were just sitting there, and they're just, like, looking at you, and then they vanish, and we made it. Okay, well, that's a weird line. 
So now Megatron's irked and he's about to blast the Autobots, but Prime manages to lift the entire oil tanker up and throw it at Megatron, sending Megatron under the water. Yeah, this scene is very, like, it needed, like, a Stan Bush, like, song <laughs> to play. Because, like, you just hear Optimus off off screen go, Megatron, and then, like, all this water is rushing on the screen, and then as it, like, dissipates, you see little tiny Optimus holding up an entire <laughs> oil tanker over his head. And it's, like, reaching for the man upstairs kind of moment, and he throws it <laughs> at Megatron, and, and, like, it lands on him, like, 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 it just hits him like a train, and then it yeah. just slowly goes underwater with Megatron at the front of it. And I'm not going to get into how much oil tankers weigh and how strong Prime has to be to just casually toss this at Megatron. It just yeah. happens. Yeah. As a kid, I loved it. I loved that, like, oh, he's so powerful. He's the best. He's Optimus. But, like, yeah, I watch it now, and, like, it just feels like it's like, oh, how, how much time we got left? <laughs> yeah, and he's throwing in a tanker full of oil. And it's going to cause a greater mess, but yeah. okay. Yeah, it's very, it's very USA. USA. <laughs> yeah, but all the fish are dead. USA. So the Insecticons see this, and they start to think that they backed the wrong team, and maybe they shouldn't have allied themselves with Megatron here. So they chow down on the Energon cubes real quick and beat a retreat. Yep. They say, we don't need allies. We'll take care of ourselves. Yep. And and this is we've never seen how Transformers use Energon. They always make the cubes, they take them home, but like what they do with them, we don't know. And this is the first time we ever see like Transformers energizing, and the Insecticons in particular have a unique way to do it: is that they actually use their mouths. Yeah, they're literally eating the Energon cubes. Yeah, it seems like in their existence on Earth, the only way they've ever gotten any energy is to eat things. So yeah. don't know if that's because they have literal brain damage and they don't know how to take in any of these other sources of energy. They've forgotten what they did on Cybertron or who knows. Mm. Again, we're just left to speculate. But yeah. they uh, they know eating gets the job done. Mm. Well, so this act on the Insecticons' part really incenses Megatron and he orders the Decepticons to forget about the Autobots and destroy the Insecticons. You took my stuff, Insecticons. <laughs> yeah, that seems a bit extreme. It's like, okay, forget about the Autobots, who are long-term enemies. These yeah. guys ticked me off once. Let's destroy them. Yeah. <laughs> yeah, we've not gotten this from Megatron before, like the whole mm -mm. greedy child syndrome, where it's like, don't touch my, you know, <laughs> that's my jacket. <laughs> Get your hands off it. I'll kill you. <laughs> so the Decepticons give chase to the Insecticons. Yeah. And we see Rumble and a lone reflector bot who has appeared out of nowhere. They take off with the other Decepticons and they all leave following the Insecticons. Mm. So this leaves the Autobots standing around victorious. They'll be back. But when they return, they better watch out. Because we'll be ready for them. Spoken like a true Autobot, Spike. Gee, do you really mean it? Why, just say the word and I'll design a vehicle transform for you. Maybe a, a motorcycle? Now that would be something new. <laughs> uh, maybe we better wait until I'm old enough to drive. <laughs> You've got yourself a deal. So, our episode ends with the Autobots triumphant, as per usual. 
Mm-hmm. And there's three more characters, three more toys to buy. Mm-hmm. So, Jersey, did you have the Insecticons as a kid? or My parents did not buy me the Insecticons, but I remember... So, like, a lot of the ways that I got Transformers as a kid was through trading with other kids. Mm-hmm. So, and, like, we did this weird thing where it was almost like a, like a lending library thing where we would trade mm-hmm. for, like, a couple weeks. Did you do that? No, I never did. I, I did a lot of uh, trading with my next-door neighbor who would almost always get in trouble with his mom that he traded away his stuff. <laughs> Sometimes <laughs> I would have to trade back. But uh, it was okay. rarely ever a lending situation. Yeah, we had this, at least a couple kids, and I, I, I can't even remember the kids' names, but we would do a thing where it's like, okay, well, like for a month, you can have mine, I'll take yours. And so I had Kickback, at least, at, at one point. And, and I do remember being really enamored of Kickback's transformation. Mm. I liked how his forearms split into the insect legs. I thought that was a neat feature. Yeah. For some reason, in Transformers, where if I could see their robot face in vehicle mode, it always kind of bummed <laughs> me out a little bit. Yeah. Like, you know, like Wind Charger, it's like he basically lays down on the ground. Yeah, <laughs> this was often the case back then. Yeah, and so like kickback was that like you turn his head around backwards, and now it's a grasshopper head. And so I coveted Bombshell one because Michael Bell played him, and I really loved his performance when I was a little kid. I thought he mm. like it was cool how creepy his voice could get, but he was also Duke. How could he be so wholesome and so <laughs> creepy? That's amazing. But I also just love the fact that like how cool the face gets hidden. Like the two modes are absolutely discreet, even mm-hmm. though the transformation isn't that, you know. But also, and this is gonna sound dumb, I had a thing for any transformer whose waist had to turn in order to transform. <laughs> like like the, the the mini bot thing where you like basically like push their arms in and fold their legs up and then lay them down on the ground. It's like now it's a that's a vehicle. It's like it's cool, but like mm-hmm. probably have to turn his legs all the way around. And like it, something felt more like there was more of a transformation. <laughs> and Bombshell had that too. So I, there was a kid in my class who had Bombshell. And I was like, oh, he's so cool. <laughs> so I did like them. I liked them as toys. The fact that they were bugs didn't bother me. I wasn't like super into like insect toys as a kid. Yeah. But like they were just vehicle looking enough or just like futuristic space robot looking enough. that And, and I did like the fact they all matched, that they had like essentially like a uniform. Mm-hmm. But did you have them? Yeah, I remember Kickback was the first one I got. And then I want to say might have been Christmas 85 that I got the other two. Um, but I remember having Kickback alone by himself for a while first. And he was definitely my favorite of the toys. Mm. I think a large part because the other two, it's like, okay, what are these things? They didn't really <laughs> look like insects to me but kickback definitely was clearly a grasshopper yeah and i I can't say they were favorites because you know like you said i wasn't super big on insects or anything but i do think i like the fact that they matched and they were sort of like a sub team yeah i was a big fan of gi joe sub teams whenever they would do like okay here's tiger force and here's the iron grenadiers i was your special mission brazil (laughs) <laughs> I was all about little sub teams, so I think I liked the Insecticons for that. Mm-hmm. And there was just three of them, so it was kind of easy to collect. Yeah, that's true. And they were smaller, so they cost less. Mm-hmm. That was a neat thing about them. I, I have to say something that upon really digging into this episode, a thing that I think that's really neat that they've suggested with the Insecticons is it almost points to Beast Wars. Mm. Um, in that, here are three Decepticons whose computers adapt them for life on earth by making them into animal modes 
which you know we had Ravage and Laserbeak, but we don't know the story on that because that's that's kind of weird because they turn to a tape, and so is the Jaguar its regular mode or its like vehicle mm. mode, right? Yeah, because there's um, no traditional robot mode for them, right? But with the Insecticons, it's like, no, they explicitly have a robot mode and an animal mode, right? Mm -hmm. And because of that, they've adapted in a way where they can eat anything. They could make energy. So in a way, like, they're the most versatile of all the Transformers because, like, you never see Optimus going like, oh, I'm really low on energy. Uh, Wheeljack, you could eat all that sandwich, you know? (laughs) Right. Uh, But the Insecticons can turn anything into energy and they eat it. So, like, mm. they've taken something from organic creatures and said, like, that's actually a pretty good adaptation. Let's use that. And it points to, like, maybe there's something, and I'm saying this, I'm, I'm, I'm saying something that would shock 1995 Jersey, is that maybe there's something actually advantageous about having some aspects of organic life functions in a Transformer, right? And just as a spoiler alert, when Beast Wars debuted, when we first saw the toys, we were like, what? Animals? <laughs> really? Yeah. We're like, oh, so they just like skin animals and put them over the robot bodies? That's gross. That's dumb. <laughs> That's uh, dumb. We'll never like that. And then cut to like a year into the TV show and we we're like, oh, this is so cool. Yeah. Like in 1997, I don't think there was a single day in that year where I didn't think about Beast Wars. <laughs> It's like all I cared about in the entire world. Uh, and like, I remember I was, I was meeting with Tom Root. We were, this is like right when I was starting out doing work for Antarctic press. And we were, we were like meeting up to talk about a, a backup story we were to do in Ninja high school. And he's like, Oh, as he's leaving, he's like, do you think you can get this, you know, these 16 pages done by this time? And I said, I'm going to give it a maximal try. And I said it like unironically, you know, it's like, mm-hmm. I'm going to do my best. And he's like, put his head down. He's like, Oh, <laughs> and walked out of the room. <laughs> like that's how into beast wars i was by then but yeah when it first came out and we were like there's a guy called dinobot really there's a guy called tarantulas he's he's called tarantulas you know like character named insecticon (laughs) (laughs) that's right (laughs) hasbro was just like what trademarks do we still own okay you know when i watch this episode and i'm looking at what they suggest with the insecticons i'm like actually that kind of points a path and the fact that shrapnel and bombshell could do so many things it suggests that maybe there's something that makes you even more adaptable as a transformer the moment you start to like copy other forms of life not just Mm. vehicles and appliances certainly an interesting road that they went down and they like like we said before, they didn't give us much information on it, so that just left us speculating. Yeah. As another little tiny note, I also like the little line that Wheeljack offers about designing a vehicle transform mode for Spike. Yeah. Suggesting maybe a motorcycle, which as a child, you know, we had GoBots. Mm-hmm. I love GoBots now. I did not enjoy them very much as a child. I was one of those kids who was very aware of branding, like a right. lot of kids were. And I was like, oh, that, they're the bad Transformers. He's a good Transformer. <laughs> and Psykill, when he's in uh, motorcycle mode, you can see his face, you know? <laughs> now now it's like when I see the scooter toy, I'm like, oh, I wish you could see his face when he's in scooter mode. <laughs> so I could pretend to be Nick, like I'm talking to him and having a good time. <laughs> But anyway, so like we had motorcycle transformers, but they didn't look like real motorcycles, right? And so I was like, when that got suggested as a child, I was like, that would be cool. And then also, I like that Spike says, maybe when I'm old enough to drive, he's not 16 yet, you know? <laughs> so now we get a sense of how old he is. He's like somewhere between 14, 15 years old. Yep. So, Plague of Insecticons, another yep. episode in the can. Any last thousand foot up view for you on this one? Where does this does this one like hold any special place? 
I can't say I love it, but I love the idea of a third faction, especially with how it ends up with Megatron really mad at them. Yeah. Uh, I like that sort of uh, interesting new take on the status quo. Mm-hmm. I love black and purple. It's <laughs> <That's laughs> so true. Can't fault their look. I was never a huge fan of the Insecticons, but there's enough trappings there for me to glom onto. So this is not a favorite episode, but it but it ain't bad. It it also again points to stuff that gets further developed in Beast Wars, where they take the same idea with the character of Tarantulas, but they extend it out and play with it more. Mm-hmm. And this is one of those things. Again, Sunbow always suggests implies but very very rarely delivers um and i'm not saying that as a cut down i'm saying that that's part of the charm of it for me but like what could where else could you have gone with this you have a third faction they're very isolationist they don't they've been in a swamp for a long time and they're kind of weird now Mm -hmm. what kind of cool subplot could you have introduced into this right like as, as an ongoing thing in the series who knows but it suggests something interesting. So, mm-hmm. yeah, I can't say that I was a huge Insecticon fan, but I was a fan of the premise of another team of Decepticons who really don't give a darn about the war and kind of get under Megatron's skin every once in a while. Yeah. So, and I like the fact that they're bugs and they can bug Megatron. Oh, kickback would have high fived you for that one. You <laughs> <laughs> would have high legged me. <laughs> And then I'd be like, that wasn't a very good joke, kickback. And he'd say, I'd say it's pretty good. (laughs) (laughs) We'll get to that one. I think that's the traitor in season two. (laughs) (laughs) All right. Well, thank you, Hoover. This is a good one. Good, fun time. What do we got next? What's the next episode? Next episode is the final episode of season one, Heavy Uh, Metal War. Whoa. So it's all about heavy metal, and Optimus has to team up with Anthrax, and Megatron (laughs) teams up with Iron Maiden, and they all have a concert where they got to outblast each other. Oh, did Deke take over the the writing of the show? (laughs) Yeah, that is a very Deke plot, isn't it? At least the Deke G.I. Joe series. We'll find out what they mean by heavy metal war, I think. It's a memorable one. It's one that we've both watched a lot over the years. Mm-hmm. Another FHE tape. But also, like you said, the conclusion of the first season. So exciting. Yeah. All right. Well, and while yeah. we're here, just to let you guys know, we have decided that after next episode, Heavy Metal War, we're going to do an episode that sort of sums up the season, maybe collects any thoughts that got left on the floor as we discussed all these shows, going to look at the season in general as a whole. Mm. So there'll be a very special episode of 4 Million Years Later, the week after Heavy Metal War. So if you have any questions for us, want to ask us anything, feel free to do it. We have an email. Uh, mm-hmm. If you listen to our little closing credits, we have all the communication information in there. Mm-hmm. So feel free to add us. We're here to listen. Mm. (laughs) (laughs) And uh, we'll look forward to hearing from you. And in the meantime, I have been Jersey Drozd of 4millionyearslater.com and Jersey Drozd on Instagram. And I have been a plague of Hoover. (laughs) Okay, bye. Bye. Episode synopses are from imdb.com and some episode information taken from tfwiki.net. 
closing theme is by Nick Mahalik, based on the original closing theme by Ford Kinder and Ann Bryant. You can find more of Nick's music at soundcloud.com slash nicholas-mahalik. That's spelled N-I-C-H-O-L-A-S dash M-E-H-A-L-I-C-K. Find us on Facebook under 4 Million Years Later, and you can email us at 4millionyearslater at gmail.com. Visit 4millionyearslater.com, and if you haven't yet, please subscribe to the show wherever you listen to podcasts. You know how it works. <laughs>